Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. Today, we have a conversation with Roxy Eloise. She is an author out of England. Her latest novel, The Guidel, Discovering Pericordis, comes out April 2nd, 2022. You can pre-order your copy at roxyeloise.com. We'll leave all the information in the show notes. We have a really interesting conversation for you all. We're going to talk a little bit about the genre that she writes in, dystopian YA, how she prepared for that, as well as how this story came to her. It came to her in a dream, and that's a really interesting conversation that you're not going to miss. So without further ado, here's Roxy. Tell me where you're from. I, I, I was trying, I watched some of your YouTube videos, mm-hmm. and I was trying to pin down the accent, um, because I watched this YouTube video a few years ago about this guy that did like 30 accents from the UK. And like showed the difference between them, but I was like, I can't figure this one out. So go ahead and tell me. I won't take guesses at it. That feels like I don't even know. It feels mean to be like, oh, are you from here? And being wildly yeah. wrong about it. So I'll just yeah. I'll just let you say it. If you said I was I was from Scotland, I would be like, mm. yeah. No. <laughs> Whatever the offensive area from the UK. I guess I yeah. I do follow some like meme accounts, and I I'm assuming that if you're from the north, and then yeah. if you guess that they're from the south, that's bad, right? Like. Yeah, that's yeah, really yeah, the that's big it. beef. Yeah. So if you're from if accent. you're from like Chelsea and I and I say that you're from uh, where do they have Gordy Shore? That's a uh, midway. That's like halfway. It's it's like midway. Okay, so that that's not as good of a of a one. But like if I if I guess you're from like Birmingham, that's that's probably pretty insulting, right? Well, that's that's north to where I am, so I guess it all counts as north. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I'm like down there, down south, but. I get asked a lot when I used to, in my, my old job, I used to get asked if I was from Australia. My parents were born and raised in Tottenham and I was, uh, I went to school in Hertfordshire. So my accent gets picked up a lot because <laughs> I'm like a merge between a slightly Cockney, slightly London, and then I, I have a slightly posher edge to it. <laughs> so I'm not quite Cockney from London, but because I come from, I'm a mixture of the two. So you're not the first do, to ask Do about people that. have a hard time guessing locally where you're from? Yes. I can yes. see that. Yes, they That's do. Funny. And people, they, they tell me that I say certain words weird as well. They say, you say that really strange, that one word, one particular word. I say that, that's, you say that really strange. <laughs> so, yeah. My yeah I, I get the same thing as well, being from being from Texas. I, I obviously, like everybody, I can't tell that I have an accent. But what I'll do is I'll have these, like, Freudian slips where I'll be talking in like a very stereotypical American accent where I could, you could think I'm from California, you could think I'm from New York. And then all of a sudden I'll have a word where I just throw in this really hard Southern accent, like y'all. And then everybody's <laughs> yeah. like, dude, what was that? Yeah. Um, so it's, I did, very... I, I do use the word y'all, by the way, that's like a, that's a oh, real yeah. thing. That's not made up. I people think that was all the time saying y'all. So I knew it was a thing. I didn't know it was a thing because people say it in that they actually write it in their tweets on Twitter so yeah I knew it was a yep I mean it's a it's a really effective word like I mean who has the time to type out you all yeah you all <laughs> you guys have some have some in, in like from my outsider's perspective you guys have some crazy words too but yeah um, what what is what is like the one that you're like oh people need to adopt this is there one in, that comes to mind where you're like this is an objectively better way of putting things I don't know because I don't know what whether it's something that we use and everybody else uh, nobody else does. It's not so I can't yeah. actually think of anything 
that we use. Uh, I have conversations like this all the time where they're telling me their words and I'm trying to learn their words, especially with uh, my friends, my Scottish friends. They have a lot of their words. But I never have any to actually say, oh, you need to say this one back, never. I think being, it's quite generic, I think, from London. Um, I can't yeah, they're pretty closely tied to, like, I mean, American English and, like, London English is mm-hmm. pretty closely tied, except for, like, some mm-hmm. vocabulary. Um, like what? You can, what? You, Give me you, an example. I don't even know if the, what the white word is for it. You posture-sounding words like foot like football might be like i've heard people call like footy is that a thing or like like instead of calling it the television or the tv which is so like that's so um utilitarian and then and then y'all will be like give the telly or something yeah yeah yeah, we do that we do that um so there's there's i i again i don't know the best way to put it. it it has this sort of um it's i wouldn't even call it proper i wouldn't call it like it's not more it's not fanciful is probably a good way to put it, it there's more of like a fanciful tone to it i don't i don't know if that makes sense or that's like wildly offensive so you, but... you say the fuller version and we shorten it by saying telly yeah so you're getting to the point yeah we are <laughs> yeah i get you would say television or tv would you right yeah. but i will say you know like the scottish people they've their way of putting things is so confusing. If you ever read like mm-hmm. Scottish tweets, I'm like, what are you saying? Yep. I don't get it. Yep, I couldn't even. I have this conversation a lot with my colleagues at work, and I couldn't even give you. They're trying to teach me their slang, and sometimes I really struggle to understand, even though they're from the same country as me. I really have to listen hard. Sometimes I don't understand a single word in the sentence, and I have to ask them to, to say it again, and they're from the same country as me. And so, yeah, I get it. The Scottish one, they have a lot of uh, words like that. A lot. They, one... We're planning a trip to Scotland um, in a few years for golf. And I'm like, I, I don't know how I can prepare myself for... Because not only are we going to be talking to folks from up there, but we're also going to be going to, like, smaller towns where I'm sure there's, like, they're mm-hmm. even more ingrained yeah. in that way of speaking. And I'm, it's going to be a rude awakening, I'm sure. We're not... Yeah. There's going to be a language barrier, even though we're saying this. Yeah, that you need to you need to watch videos, I guess, videos to learn yeah. um, ahead of time to try and pick it up, like just to try and uh, like tune your ear to it a little bit. Yeah, be the other one is, is uh, people from Liverpool. We've been there's like some <laughs> meme accounts that go over like how like is it scows? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but they're they're absurd. Like the subculture that's in some ways is completely Mm -hmm. distinct, in other ways it's completely recognizable. And I'm like, what are you referencing? Mm -hmm. Like, anyways, Mm -hmm. they're hilarious. Um, I could go. We could just have an entire study of scousers and Obi. I'm sure I've got like two or three friends that would listen and just be like, this is the greatest podcast episode I've ever heard. So if you know any scouser writers, I'd be do I'd be happy I, to bring them on. I do not know any actual like writer friends other than my like online friends. I don't have anybody close by me that I know that writes at all. I'm the yeah. only one in my circle. Yeah, so all my friends online uh, writer friends are all online, and most of them are actually from America. Yeah, how how, how how does that work out in terms of time? Do you do you get on a lot mm-hmm. of like Skype calls with them, or is it like a lot of offline exchanging? DM um, mainly, and we're not too far apart time wise, so I'm getting used to it. When it's like my evening, it's their afternoon, 
in the early days, I had no clue. Um, but now, so I've been doing it for like over a year, it's getting a lot easier. Um, we usually choose Sundays, uh, it'd be my evening and their lunchtime. So That's my dinner time, yeah, and their lunchtime. Especially if you're on the East Coast, it's like five hours, right? It's not yeah, terrible. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Mainly DMs, How did you meet them? Mainly through Twitter. My following on Twitter is a lot bigger. And I, I find the writing community on Twitter is a lot more engaging. They actually talk to you a lot more. Whereas Instagram, because um, it's like visual, I find the engagement a lot lower on Instagram. So I've got yeah. a lot less following on there. It's nice to look at people's profiles and the like button is as far as engagement goes. It's not actually real engagement. And Goodreads is the other one that I met a lot of my writer friends. But once you're on, you meet them through Goodreads, they'll give you your handle to Twitter or Instagram. So uh, Twitter is my, my biggest way of meeting my online friends. Most of them, I'd say. Yeah, I haven't even looked into Goodreads yet. That's something I need to dive into. I've I've read a lot lately that's like, no, if you're not on Goodreads, you're doing something wrong, both as like a reader and a writer. So I need to look into that. For a writer, the the forums, the forums for Goodreads, I found a lot of my my writer help and advice. My early advice I got from Goodreads through the forums. So yeah, a must must have for newbie writers that are looking for beta readers or they just want to get their um, their blurb an opinion on their blurb um, or anything like that, Goodreads is the place to go. You're not going to find it, if you're new on Twitter and Instagram, you're not going to find that type of help on them two platforms. If you're new, the Goodreads is where you start out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was kind of, I was fortunate because when I started writing, I had, my brother wrote a ton in college, both novels and screenplays. My dad had written a novel. My uncle wrote and self-published a novel. So I had a few wow. people that could read my first few works and explain like what I was doing wrong. Mm. It's actually kind of interesting. Like I, my first stuff that I ever wrote, um, like everybody I thought was phenomenal and it wasn't. And, uh, I wrote a, um, I write primarily in like YA or middle grade fantasy fiction. And, um, my dad, who has no interest in that stuff at all, he, I didn't think he would read it or I didn't think that he'd be able to have like the right input because the genres were so different. He re he reads mm -hmm. and writes more like spy and like corporate corporate malfeasance novels like John Grisham or whatever. And uh, he was immediately able to be like, no, you need, this needs to be like, you need to take this description and put it over here and you need to end the chapter here and not there and all this stuff. And I was like, wow. And it really opened my eyes to like, how storytelling in general has a lot of rules they follow and a lot of things you can learn from other kinds of storytelling that might not be like what you think um, fits into your story. So um, kind of leading to my next question, with your writing group, do you work with people that write a bunch of different genres or do they write similar genres than you? How does that look? Varied. Absolutely, like every genre. I find a young adult to be really, really popular fantasy to be quite popular as well but literally my writer friends they they are actually because i have i've got about seven thousand followers on twitter so i'm, I'm guessing it covers all of them um yeah. i do get my my closest writer friends once they've read my book they will say so i'm having art readers at the moment they will say oh that's really similar to what i've got in my book or that character is so similar to what 
um, I've written in my character and they start sharing. So I'm noticing that there's a personality trait that we create in our characters that is really popular. And people are coming back to me saying, oh, that reminds me of my character. But yeah. what genre they're, they're writing in, um, trying to think, is fantasy. And both of them are fantasy, actually. Both the people who just recently said to me they've got characters the same. Mine is mildly fantasy. It's dystopian, and that is one that I don't come across very often. Uh, my writer friends that write dystopian, that's a, I seem to be on my own a little bit for dystopian, but it's got a touch of magical realism in it, so that's where the, the fantasy element comes from. But there's no like giants or dragons or anything like that. It's really it's right. fantasy, in fact, it's just um, very realistic, as realistic as I could make it based on real life, and the characters do refer back to our world, our life, and us. So it's just a hundred years in the future, and as realistic uh, as I could make it, there's like a touch of magic. Yeah, that was one of my questions I had: is what year did it take place? Because I I haven't I haven't finished it, so maybe that got revealed at a certain point, or maybe I missed it. But it so it takes place around like two thousand. 130-ish or something? Yeah, 2119. 2119, okay. 2119 is the date, yeah. It does does actually come up. I think, and no, I don't think I mentioned it, but it does actually come up in chapter 7. It will mention the date in there. I did see them be like, oh, that guy wears a suit like the 1900s, but... Yeah. um, So then I was like, okay, this is for sure in our world and whatever, and later you talk about, like, how the dollar and the euro fell apart and things like that, which I thought was... That's something people don't talk a lot about is money in worlds. And I know there's some people that like love getting into the, that aspect. Like we recently did an episode on, um, on Patrick Rothfuss name of the wind and how like he's always talking about money in that move in that book. Um, so I, I liked that from a, like from a geopolitical perspective, like when, when a world falls apart, it's, that's mm-hmm. like a huge reason for it or like a huge fallout is what would happen to assets. Right. So I appreciate you threw that in there. Um, what got you into writing dystopian? I know there's there's obviously a lot of works that came out over the past like twenty or thirty years um, that had a lot of mainstream success. But was it one of those that got you into writing or reading, or was there something else that that kind of drew you into it? The the second that I wanted my world to be in, it was naturally dystopian. And my dream, my book came from a dream that I had. I originally started writing non-fiction, and this was after finding the confidence and realizing that authors were not born knowing how to write, because that's what I believed. I thought they knew that they could write the book, and uh, when I was 28, I got given a book, and the book made me realize that these authors, they don't, they're not born knowing that they can do it, and they learned to do it. So at 28 years old, I finally had the confidence to begin writing my book. I really wanted to be a writer, and I knew in the back of my mind it was fiction that I wanted to be writing, but I started off writing non-fiction because I didn't have the story. But as I was writing the non-fiction, in the back of my mind, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to be writing. And, uh, but I just didn't have the story. And I had a dream. I woke up in the morning. It was so powerful. I was like, wow, this is my story. This is what I've been waiting for. So the second, the protagonist and the antagonist, 
they all come from my dream. Why did I start writing dystopian? It's because my dream, the setting in my dream, it was dystopian. So it couldn't have been any other genre. It just came That's naturally. Interesting. What is, so I don't want to introduce a lot of spoilers. Um, so I, I guess with that in mind, see if you can answer this question. Like how different was your dream from where your novel ended up, right? Because dreams are so... Dreams can make a lot of sense, but they can also make sense in spots and then like completely fall out of like logic and reason. How ready-made was it and how much of that dream like became your story? And if you could tell us what the dream was without ruining the book, then we'd love to do that, obviously. <laughs> um, so my, my dream was me. I was placed in um, an institute, a setting for my book. And everybody seemed to know what they was doing, but obviously I was me in my dream, and I was just plonked in the centre of this setting, and these characters were all acting in a certain way. And the antagonist walks into my setting, and everybody, they all react the exact same way. And somebody tells me, realises that I'm not acting the same as everybody else, and he, he he says you need to you need to get into character like you need to snap into it because if he if he sees that you're different uh, he he'll know that what he does what he uses doesn't work on you and so you need to act and so my dream was me trying to pick up cues from everybody else and get into what they were doing. And at some point, the antagonist would be in my face where he's detected something and he's literally there staring at me and I'm just trying to just still just to remain in character. And I, whatever I did convinced him and then he went away from me. And so that was basically my dream was uh, somebody not quite acting like they should. And it would have been like life-threatening if right. they got detected like a super creepy version of simon says basically yeah yeah it was really it was really scary to be in the dream i woke up and i was like, I was like wow i had to tell somebody about it because i was literally i couldn't stop thinking about it and the the title from my book the guidal not the discovering pure cordis but the guidal come from my dream that's the name that was repeated at me again and again and again. And I woke up in the morning, I thought, I could, it just stuck with me, the name. And I was like, wow, the guy. <laughs> so even the title. That's interesting. So... That's the thing we were talking about in the last episode about how, um, like, non-writers often ask, like, how do you come up with these ideas? Like, it seems like that'd be the hardest part. And for you, I guess, you that kind of came to you, which I don't think I've ever heard of that. That's, that's fascinating. It, I was asking for, it, I was writing my non-fiction and I just knew it was not what I wanted to be doing and I was basically just willing this story to, to come to me, just please, I really want to write fiction but I just didn't have the story and then when I had the dream, I just knew it, I was just like, that's it, that's exactly what I want and then that different aspects I put into my book. So it's, there's a huge amount of the book that actually wasn't the dream. It all just come, my characters kind of took, adopted their own, like took a life of their own and they created a lot of, where I thought the book was ending, when I originally plotted and I had the dream and I spent about a week plotting, I had an ending, but it never ended that way. The characters ended my book their own way. So it's a bit 50-50. Interesting. So because you didn't, like most authors will read what they enjoy or what they 
or sorry, they will write what they normally read or what they enjoy, but you kind of, because this kind of came to you more organically, um, was there a bit of a learning curve in like taking that dream and then saying, okay, I'm going to write dystopian fantasy and then like turning over to like reading those books or like watching YouTubes about like how to do that well? How did that come about? Was there like a, a steep learning curve in all of that? I, I didn't want to be influenced or uh, like swayed. Um, I I realized now that that is what a lot of people do. I didn't realize that, that that's actually a technique that you're taught, that um, if you're going to start choosing, uh, if you're going to start writing in a, a chosen genre, you should pick up the books and start reading. But I didn't know that when I started writing. I didn't have the confidence my whole life um, a book, but I knew I wanted to. I was in I'm taking me back way back in secondary school. I thought I wanted to I wanted to be a writer, and I used my English teacher to validate myself and for her to tell me if I was born to write or not. Because for some reason, I thought they had superpowers, and I thought that they knew when they were born that they could do it. But that wasn't me. So I used my English teacher to tell me. So when I had an assignment and it was writing a short story of my choice, I actually loved the whole process and I gave it into marking. But there was one sentence in there that I was so impressed with and I thought, okay, this is the sentence. If I'm born to do this, this is the sentence this is going to tell me that I'm born to do this. And I took it back off of her and she had noticed my sentence and she told me it was unrealistic. And that was it. I closed my notebook <laughs> and I thought, that's it, I'm not going to write. So for 15 years, I never believed I could do it. And this is where I get imposter syndrome because for 15 years, I couldn't pick up another book because I wasn't, I could not pick up another fiction book. I was reading a lot of non-fiction, but I could not pick up another fiction book because when I did, I would feel so sad that I was not born to do this and this is what I've always wanted to do. And I, I validated myself off of an English teacher. So 15 years later, my friend gave me a non-fiction book and it was You Are a Badass by Jensen Sarah, I think you pronounce her name. And in her book, she explains how to, if, if writing a book is what you want to do, then break it down chapter by chapter. And that's what I did. I thought, okay, then she's told me I can do it. I'm going to do it. Uh, I started doing nonfiction, as I said. And then when I got my book idea, I started to plot my chapter by chapter, just like Jen said to do in her book. And so, no, I did not pick up a book and learn the genre like I should have. I need a second to process that because that that's an that's an incredible story. <laughs> like Thank you. I because it's it's relatable in some ways. I've had moments in my life, especially in adolescence, where you are just completely unsure of who you are, and um, since you can't figure it out, you're looking for a sign. You know, like, well, if God wants me to do this, then it'll work out, or I'll get a sign. Sometimes you don't, and or sometimes you don't get the sign you want, and. So it's relatable in that regard, but man, you put a lot of stakes into that one, one review. Line. And it's funny because now that you're a writer, you probably have seen like that is in a way the exact opposite of how you should treat alpha readers and beta readers. It's like, okay, give it to a wider audience, yeah. see what the majority thinks, or basically you take everything with a grain of salt, right? But you look at everything, but you don't put all that weight on everything. So I guess it's kind of ironic in a way that that was kind of your mindset at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. I was, um, I was in awe of the 
story that the authors created and not the um not the reading experience. I was so I was so engrossed in how the author made me feel what they made me feel and I was obsessed with story making and story writing and I thought I don't know how they've done this and they obviously knew that they were born to do it and they had these superpowers which gave them this ability to do it and I'm not one of them but I I was I'm so silly to think that my English teacher was the one to tell me that I if I could do it or not and it took me so many years to realize that they they learned to do it (laughs) they're not born to do it I wish it didn't take me so long and I envy the writers who are 17, 20 years old and they're already in their writing careers, already writing there. They've got the belief that I never had. I never had that belief until I was 28. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that's supernatural with writing or any any artist is there is always going to be a level of imposter syndrome or self-doubt. Like, unless yeah. you're a musician named Drake like you probably don't have any self-doubt like unless you are like clearly the very best at what you do or very or like the very most popular at what you do like everybody probably is like am am i that great or whatever Mm -hmm. but then like also you've probably got times where where you read your manuscript where you're like man i'm badass like this is so good you (laughs) know (laughs) Um, it just oscillates from time to time like i'm i'm the same Mm -hmm. way i'll have these moments where i'm just like I'm going to be a best-selling author. And the other days I'm like, gosh, how could anybody love me? <laughs> I've changed my mindset now since uh, the, the Jen Sincero book. I don't ha- I'm, I'm very deliberate in my thoughts now, and I don't let myself think them thoughts anymore. Like, I, they used to control me, but now I, I, don't, I do not entertain the negativity and the negative thoughts that kept me behind and held me back for so many years. So I don't, I don't allow myself. If I feel myself going down that path, I usually have to play a game or something. Um, I can't write. I cannot. If I'm going through that, if I'm in that state of mind, there's no way I'm picking up my book. And yeah. I, I'll distract myself. Yeah. I thought I understood what dystopian was. Um, and I started reading up on it. And it is what I thought dystopian was, was basically just like a subsect of that genre. Like, really just one facet of dystopian literature. Um, I was basically confusing dystopian with like post-apocalyptic fiction, right? And I, I was reading this on, um, it's from Wikipedia, so it's not like, I'm not reading from like a super learned novel or anything, but let me drag this over so I can read it for you. Um, cause I think mm-hmm. this is interesting. Um, where he says, true definition of dystopia is a speculated community or a society that is undesirable or frightening. The relationship between utopias and dystopias are actually not a simple opposition as many utopian elements and components are found in dystopias and vice versa, which I thought was really interesting and totally true that like in a lot of dystopias, um, things will like appear perfect on the surface, but aren't, you know, um, I love that dynamic. And then they also said, um, Dystopias are often characterized by rampant fear or distress, tyrannical governments, environmental disaster, other characteristics associated with a cataclysmic decline in society. Um, And despite certain overlaps, dystopian fiction is distinct from post-apocalyptic depiction. Um, Where do you think that the Gaidiel kind of falls in some of those descriptions? Uh, It is tyrannical government, and it is an oppressed society, but it's dressed up to be 
normal. Uh, they don't really know that they're in an oppressed society. And there's a lot of injustices that not many people see. It's just life to them. But there's a few individuals in the story that do pick up on the injustices. The setting is, it's in the UK, but as in there was a decline and it needed to be rebuilt. So the whole of the UK is rebuilt and renamed. It's, the country is now Venere, it's not the UK. And there's only there's six cities around the main city, but it is all UK. And obviously I've said that the, the dollar, the pound and the euro no longer exist and they use worth, what they uh, call worth, which is basically time. So they will work an hour of their their life and depending after they got after they graduated, depending on what category they got placed in, it will determine how much they get per hour for the rest of their life. They cannot change banding. So they will graduate from school, they'll get put, and depending on how well indoctrinated they are, is what one of the characters call it, they'll get placed in one of four bands, and you'll either have one worth per hour that you work, or four worth per hour that you work. So there's your classes there as well, you've got the rich and the working class. Um, so it's there's an injustice there, it's not fair, but it's very normal and portrayed as very normal and anyone that's in raised in the institute any orphans that were those like at a disadvantage at life in the beginning of their life so they're orphans or they just can't be looked after by their parents they are raised in the institute by um it's the uh, the ruler is seal borgen Boulderfell, and he adopts all these children in his institute to then protect him. So they're raised as like bodyguards and protectors. And they're instantly put on the highest banding as well. So there's an in, like there is an injustice between there's a lot of things that are unfair about the world, but it's uh deemed as normal. Nobody realizes that it's an injustice. Was there a certain theme or real life example that you thought of when you were writing it and you're like, man, I'm kind of I'm kind of basing it off of this injustice or anything. I had no idea that the worst system kind of exists today in some countries, but somebody's told me this recently and that, that uh, it does actually exist. Uh, in some countries they are, when they, when they graduate from school, they are actually put in a category and that category sets them up for the rest of their life. I, I can't remember which country he said this exists in, but um, it's a thing. Apparently, it's a it's an app. It's called something index, a cultural index or something. Does that sound right? I could be yeah, there's something wrong. called. Um, I, so I'm, I might be getting confused between two things. There is something that's similar to a cultural index in China, where but that's more like a that's more like the if you've seen Black Mirror, um, that what episode happened? where they've got the. Uh, they have like a social media, but when you interact with people, yeah, you can give them a like that. or dislike. They've got that. that in China where it's, it's basically a, um, it's like a credit score, but for how well you interact with people. And that mm -hmm. goes into consideration when you're like doing a house loan or trying to get a car and things like that, which is insane. Ooh. It's like, it's like has a nugget of a good idea. And then it's just like totally morphed into a monster. Um, okay. We won't get into Chinese politics in this podcast. Um. <laughs> so that's basically that. I think that's what he was talking about. He did say there is something when you graduate that they are 
set for life and it just determines what job they can get. So it basically, it sounds similar to that, but they, the culture index doesn't sound like it was from graduation. It doesn't sound like it Well, there is cool. another example that I was thinking of, and it, yeah, I might be not portraying it fairly. Um, so apologies in advance, people are listening that disagree, or maybe if you want to speak against it, just let us know on, on novel underscore mm-hmm. discourse on Twitter that in the Netherlands, they have this system where through either secondary school or university or wherever, I, I really think it's pretty early that they do this, um, where you are put into, you are forked into one of these universities or these secondary schools that you basically, like you're decided at like the age of 13, whether you're going to do manual labor or whether you're going to be like an engineer or a doctor or that's, things like that. Yeah, that's what he said. Okay, that's exactly it. So that's in the Netherlands. But basically, I didn't know that when I, I thought I invented the worst system. Um, it didn't it didn't come from anything, but I think it's similar to a few, a few things that I must have picked up on in, like, life. And then yeah. I, I didn't create it. So it's not unique. Let's say there's no original thought. So where yeah. I thought it was my idea, it's probably, like, just taken from different sources. It is, it's crazy because, like, I don't know about you, but... Well, actually, I do know about you because you, you said that's, like, well, you didn't figure out you were going to be a writer until later in life. And, I mean... I wasn't a great student. I, I became a better student once I got hit like high school. So if they judge me as like a 12 year old and been like, no, you are now this, or you are now that, that that's just so mm. crazy. And it works yeah. vice versa too. There are kids that I knew that were like great students in elementary school and then like fell off a cliff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just, I would be, I would insane. be screwed if I was in the Netherlands, I would have, cause I didn't start, um, I didn't have self-belief. Um, so I didn't, I didn't do the best in school. I did average, um, and I I could uh, my potential is is so much more. Schooling did not do me well. I don't find I didn't fit in very well in school. I wasn't really ready to grow up as such. Where my friends were moving on and getting into like uh, fashion and what music was in the charts, I wasn't there when I was growing up. I was still stuck in my imagination and creating stories and wanting to play. Um, so I didn't really enjoy school so much. It was something I couldn't wait to get out of, and I would never go back. A lot of people say they enjoy school, and it was the best time of their life, like the best days in their life, and that they would go back. For me, it was not a very nice place, and I wouldn't go back. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. It's it's meant for a very small portion mm-hmm. of people like you're either you either love sitting in a chair all day and like memorizing facts or mm-hmm. you are not built that way and if you yeah. don't if you're not built that way it's just like the system is just not set up for you yeah. at all you know so in, in saying that when i moved into college that's when i really enjoyed education and learning so school education didn't enjoy it but uh, i did multimedia it wasn't even um, a subject I was kind of interested in it, but I'm not passionate about it. And I passed with, like, the highest grade that you could get just because I was determined to show that I could do it and I was capable of um, achieving a good grade. Because in school, I I missed so much school, I always felt like I was catching up. So when I got a second chance in college to start afresh and and do my best, I did my best and come out with, like, the highest grade so i do like education and learning but the not the environment yeah did that play at all into your story of just like your relationship with school both like 
the good times and the bad did that did you find yourself like leaning on that as like how you kind of saw leadership in those structured environments did you draw upon any of those experiences in your story i had a lot of friends in school and i had a big friendship group and, I, and that is definitely mirrored in my book without meaning to uh, i have a lot of characters uh, introduced but so I, I think the friendship side of it is the only side of it it's a complete it's an institute but it's you're not really learning the lessons are not like they do in school so what i didn't like about school i guess it has shown in the in, in an opposite in my book i've made it how i think it should be like the history lessons are more uh, engaging they're actually in a like it's technology and is the future so they're actually in the history lesson learning the history lesson like they're the character in it so I don't think education should be done from a, a book and a teacher standing there. So I guess it has, my experiences um, have come, they have shown up in my book. I've not really thought about that before, but yeah, but I've made it in how I think it should be done more than, uh, and then there's a lot of, they do a lot of training. And I, I know that like physical exercise is really good for mental health. So I think that's why that's such a big part in my book as well. So I guess, yeah, you pick up things that you you like and you dislike and you do end up writing an into your novel, but it's not something I've actually sat here and thought about. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. The other thing about your novel like that I'm curious about is that you maybe added in, you know, meaningfully or maybe just kind of organically happened is um, when writing specific genres like dystopian um one of the best pieces of advice that I had heard was um, that it is important to kind of understand what are the tropes that you want to use and then what are the tropes that you want to subvert in a genre. And I'm curious if you did any meaningful things and maybe, you know, avoid spoilers where you can, but like, did you take a look at the holistic genre of dystopian of this sort of um, fantasy fiction YA that like, I want it to have hit these beats in terms of being a YA dystopian, but then there are certain things that I completely want to avoid or want to subvert. Was it like walk me through mm -hmm. what that process looked for, from your perspective, not only like in your first like conception of the story, but then also like maybe some later drafts. I started off writing from a different person's point of view. I started writing third person and from a different main character. The main character now was never, was not the main character in the start. I wrote wow. the first chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in third person from following a male character. And it wasn't right. It didn't feel right. And so I rewrote the whole chapter again from first person from the main character who is Aurora. And that's what felt natural to me is trial and error it didn't feel right the first time the the tropes they kind of just come naturally as i say like the characters i gave them like i gave them personalities but i'd feel their personality depending on where i wanted them to fit in the story i would feel their personality and then i would name them from their personality and I would think that their personality was a certain way only when they would appear in a scene would they then show me their real personality and mm. I would they would lead the story themselves the tropes kind of came themselves Brendan one of the characters when I created him I thought he was really timid and shy you, he actually is in the first chapter of Brendan he writes in the first chapter yeah. but when he would come into a scene he was actually, I felt he was not 
so timid. He was really confident. He knew he was in the popular crowd, and he was a little bit more confident. He He's embarrassed easily, I could feel that, but he was not shy. So he led his own story, and he arrived in the second book a lot more, and his story he created himself because he was never meant to be that character. He His personality come out of it. The only trope that was deliberate on my part was the, the love triangle, because I don't like love triangles for love triangle's sake. I, I hate it when you're reading a love triangle, and there's no point... That is even a love triangle. One of the Jesus might not, may, they might not, yeah, they may as well have not been in there. <laughs> you oh, yeah. know who they're going to choose from the start. And that is the deliberate one that I did because I don't like it when it's like that. I wanted the one where it is, oh, which way, which way. And from my art readers, that's exactly what I've created. I've created a natural love story, like a, a natural love triangle. Yeah, love situations in novels are tricky because you're never going to please everybody. There's people who mm -hmm. will read a story or watch a movie and be like, man, I couldn't believe they, they didn't get together at the end. That's really disappointing. But then there will be other stories where mm -hmm. it's so out of place that they got together. And then you're looking at it from the other angle and you're like, why did they throw those two people together? That makes no sense. So yeah. Yeah, it's, but... it's such a subjective thing. Yeah, uh, that there is, there's more to do with the, the, the love triangle, but um, I'm afraid it's a spoiler. So I really, I yeah. want to say it, but I really think it's a spoiler, so I can't. But I did tweet, and I said, to basically hint, I said in my tweet that my main character is falling in love again and she's not supposed to, how do I control her? <laughs> So that's the hint. I think I saw that tweet. I think I, I, I think I saw that tweet. So I was like, I, yeah, I, I thought that was such an interesting question. <laughs> because that was genuinely happening to me. And I was, um, my, from the comments that I was getting, they were saying, let her be, let her choose. And I did, and I'm so pleased that I did. So what I wanted is not what happened. She chose, the character chose. And, oh, oh my God, it's made it ten times better than it ever could have been. So as a writer, if you are getting, if your characters are trying to lead you places, the best advice I've received is let them take you. Because the ending of my first book wouldn't be, if I forced it, it would be an unnatural ending, and it wouldn't be what's actually how it ends in my book currently. And then for this a series, the end end, if I had have forced it like I was trying to and didn't listen to like the, the comments in Twitter, then I wouldn't have the ending that I've got now. And it is, uh, if somebody says, said to me, sit down and write this book again and do it again, do what, write the guide all again, I would tell them I can't because a lot of what is in there, the characters created themselves and came to me themselves. Or if I'm drifting off to sleep, it would just like a ping moment and I'd think, oh my God, that's brilliant. And I'd have to quickly get up, write it down on a notebook and then go back to sleep. I could not rewrite a new, like, Virgo Idol, rewrite it. Obviously, if I had to write the exact same, I know where I've, it's gone now, so I could copy it. But if it was like a brand new sit down and write it, I couldn't. Because I didn't, I feel like I didn't write it as such. It got given to me through my characters. They created the story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so please, no, I, nobody I feel asked 100 me. 100% the same way. 
<laughs> and you clearly did not get a like you clearly are not from the George R. R. Martin school of writing because if it was George R. R. Martin in your predicament, he probably would have killed the other character and been like, "Well, <laughs> I'm gonna break their heart instead." So there you go. I got a lot of comments telling me to do that. <laughs> yeah, I have the, I have the exact same conundrum where I'm I'm like I in, so I'm a huge outliner. I used to not be. I mm-hmm. used to be a hundred percent a discovery writer, um, but I found that. Because I wrote such, I had like MacGuffins and I had more magic in my story. I would realize that like I had a huge plot hole. Like, oh, like no, a, no. oh, oh, why didn't they use that magic earlier? Why didn't yep. they just do that? And I'm like, oh, crap. And 100%. so I had to start outlining um, to prevent that. Yeah. So I'll have the same thing where I know in advance before I even write chapter one, um, what I want this character to do. And then as I'm writing them and as they're kind of coming to life, like through their dialogue and their character and things... And then they meet other characters that have other dialogue and thoughts and actions and dreams. I start realizing, like, that's not how they would respond to that. Or, like, I thought they mm-hmm. would get along with that person, but they won't. And yeah. I'm going to have to rewrite this scene. Um, it's so interesting. Writers mm-hmm. and non-writers would be like, y'all are clinically insane for yeah, thinking, like, crazy. no, just write what you said. No, it's not like that. Like, they're really, they really do have a mind of their own. Yes, they will not understand. They will, and I didn't understand that before I actually started writing. I have to outline too. I'm the same. My book is uh, there's it's, it has to it had to be outlined, had to be. But the the changes I then would have to replot. I then have to go back. I'd have to make sure there were no plot holes, and I'd have to sit. I couldn't write and touch my book for like a week because I now needed to where the characters led it. I would now need to wake like work out. Has it created a new um, plot? Has it created a plot hole, or can I let them go along with this? And nine times out of ten, they could go along with it. Not once. Depending on my mood, there was once where I had to change it. The characters were supposed to be having a nice time, and because of my mood, they're having an argument. <laughs> and 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 because that's because of the way I was feeling, and I realised that their dialogue was going down the wrong path entirely, and uh, I had to stop writing. And then when I went back to it, I just deleted the whole page, whatever I had written, between the two characters, and I started the scene from the start again, but in a better mood, once I was in a better mood. And then their conversation led exactly where it was supposed to go. Um, but if they do take me astray, I do need to replot and find out if there's any plot holes. Because there's a whole law around... I don't want to give too much away, but, yeah, it is very well plotted out, and it needed to be. Yeah. I, I, I had a little bit of my last work, um, but instead of rewriting it, I just, I had this kind of huge realization moment where, and it wasn't a main character, um, but I was writing a scene that had a little bit of action and I was like, this guy needs to die. <laughs> and like, I just was like, all right. And then I just kind of like thought about how I was going to do it. And I was like, bye-bye. Like, sorry, yeah. you are fodder for the plot now. Cause I have to yeah. develop this character. He like needs to learn from this whole scene. And, and like, That's I was it. not intending on doing it the first time around, but now, now that I read it, I'm like, I could have not, this story would have not made sense without it, you know? Yeah, that's what I mean about it. You can plan all you like. You can you can try your best to plan it, but these the best ideas come last like that. They just come out of your, your characters, out of the story. They didn't come out of the outline and the plot and pace. Quick question about, um, I want to go back into a few more things about dystopian. And you, maybe you might not have the answers to these, but I would love to hear your theories on these. Um, dystopian, 
seems to be in in modern days at least to me a uh, a very heavy YA genre and I have a few theories as to why that might be I think that because we like to tie it into kind of like what you do with your novel like institutions and institutions are often tied with school and so it kind of like fits into that age group I also think that it has to do with like conforming to authority is like a super Mm -hmm. prevalent theme with young adults but I'm kind of curious as to what why you think that dystopian is often tied with YA. Well, I'm trying to think why I wrote young adult, and it was nothing actually to do with dystopian. Dystopian chose the genre; it chose itself from my dream, and I chose young adult because my my belief, my confidence was still uh, rocky. I knew I was going to write a book, but I I didn't feel like I could write for for adults. I didn't think that they would yeah. be able to read. Um, <clears throat> I felt that if I knew grade, I wouldn't be interested in writing, and I have to write what I'm interested in, otherwise I would be bored, and what I write would probably be boring. So I have to write what I'm interested in, and so it couldn't be middle grade, and I knew that I probably couldn't write adult, so I chose young adult because I felt like I could... I'm not too far away from being a young adult, so I still felt like I could relate to them, and I Mm -hmm. could... um, write a more interesting story to them because yeah, I would be interested in it but why why I think they think that the dystopian storylines they appeal to young that I think they appeal to all age ranges age ranges but I think when you're going to like publish they would tell you that it's actually young adult like I feel like what is young adult is put in that section mainly because of of publishers, whereas I think it's actually a, a varied age range. I think young adult is a is a new um, what sort of genre, is it? Is it? Is that no, it's, it, sure. it's no. like a newish. It's like a newish. Um, mm. Yeah, like age Target demographic audience? for novels. <laughs> yeah, like I think it, that's I, well, it. I think it wasn't really a thing about thirty years ago. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It. it wasn't. That's why I'm. That's why I'm stuck on that question because I'd say that dystopian is all age ranges yeah. and. Um, the reason why young adult popped up was because it's it's too old for middle grade, but I think some people their imaginations it they 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 think that adults wouldn't enjoy it. So I kind of feel like yeah. that's why it was kind of created there, that little young adult. But I know it's new. I kind of think that too because I we were I've read some you know books for adults recently, airport fiction, and the level of writing um, in terms of vocabulary and um like how heavy the dialogue is is like not Mm -hmm. much different at all if any Mm -hmm. than like a ya novel but what i have found is you'll have people who read those books won't would never be interested in reading a novel that is surrounded by characters who are in their teens is really what it comes down to i don't think you'll find and maybe some Mm -hmm. of it is a cultural thing like they'd feel embarrassed about it Mm-hmm. Or I, I really don't know. Um, some people are real, obviously really willing and open to doing that, but I'm thinking of, like what I talked about, like my dad or my uncle or things. Like I, I could not mm-hmm. see them reading a book that going into it they know like this is a story about a bunch of 14 year olds, right? Unless it's like Lord of the Flies and it's like wildly critically acclaimed or something like yeah. that, you know? But I'm yeah, not... the I if they're like under 16 then I do feel a little bit uncomfortable I feel like I want them a little bit older when I'm when I'm reading them of what I like and when they're they're nearly nearly adult and it's 
I think um, young adults, they are new to a lot of storylines. And whereas adults, been there, done that, and it's not really that interesting and that exciting, a lot of tropes. But for young adults, it is brand new to them. So um, I think that's why I kind of wanted to go into the younger, not middle grade, because I wouldn't be interested in writing it. But I wanted to appeal to people, new readers mainly, new readers, but uh, that age range because it's not been there, done that. Whereas adults, they've read a lot, they've gone, they've got a lot of experiences and they've um, they've introduced to a lot of tropes. But young adults, they're just starting out and it's new and exciting for them. Yeah, 100%. I I have, um, it's, it's interesting when I've been, getting my latest book like ready for eventually marketing and stuff i i've i've found that we don't really have a great grasp on the the lines between middle grade and ya like we don't really know where that line ends and begins i've read articles and watched videos and talked to agents and stuff about like what they think the difference is and everybody kind of has their own different opinion because you can go off of the age of the characters you can go off the length of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. You can go off of the kind of lessons that they learn. You can go off of the writing style. Um, yeah. And so, like, there is this weird blurry area. Like, you can have a book that's slightly shorter but covers heavier topics that has slightly older characters. Like, is that a YA or is that a middle grade? Like, um, especially when you're talking about, like, higher middle grade or lower young adult. And then, as you talked about, like, there's there's also some of those books that can be enjoyed by a wider audience. Like dystopian mm-hmm. YA is like, you know, I'm, there are good, there are people that are technically fall into that middle age group that would be, would love to read and are willing to read a book of that level. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's weird. We just don't know how to market to those people. Like what are the magic words when you're making your marketing materials that like, cause you don't want to say it's for all ages, right? Cause that no, everybody that... would love to say that their books for all ages. That's the problem that I came up against. I needed to tell the publisher where, why, where, where is, what age range, what target audience is it? And that's the only reason why my book falls into young adult because they made me choose. Um, but my, my book, it isn't middle grade because I wanted to have some, like, some heavier subtopics in there, some he- not a lot, but I don't like reading dark, heavy. I don't like it. It's too triggery for me. It triggers. So I wanted there to have some, and you're not really allowed too much in middle grade, so it needed to be adult, it needed to be, but they would say that it was because of the age range of my characters, that, and yeah. that it would be young adult, but my first readers were in their 50s, and they they love it, and they want the second book. I had my first male arc reader, and I was worried, because it's I thought my book leaned towards females, but he gave me a really glowing review and he really wants a second book. And that he was in his 50s and I was really surprised that I could, that I reached that target audience. I was really surprised. But the, yeah. the publishers make us choose where it falls. But I, I think a lot of adults will enjoy young adults. Yeah. It's just a matter of giving it a chance. I think there's people that, mm-hmm. again, they they are worried about carrying around a cover of the novel that maybe doesn't mm-hmm. represent their their demographic. It's like yeah. s- some of the stuff that I think it comes down to, like carrying a yeah. super bland looking, like obviously, like if they carry around a Tom Clancy novel through the airport, that looks a lot different than carrying around mm-hmm. a book with a big dragon on it. 
with like a That's cartoon true. or something like and yeah. even though they might enjoy that it's just interesting um in private <laughs> they'll enjoy it in private. yeah in private <laughs> on their kindle yeah well anyways it's been super enjoyable i've really enjoyed this conversation um roxy why don't you tell people where they can find your book i guess it's not technically out yet correct yeah no it's not out yet it is due for the release on the 2nd of april this year so very soon it will be available on in all like through england so mainly all bookstores but uh if the pre-orders will be available on amazon shortly and signed pre-orders are available on my website now and uh, that is at roxyeloise.com um my twitter handle if you wanted to um, contact me because i'm very active on twitter and that's where i like to talk to all my friends um you can find me on roxyeloise underscore um yeah so that's my website and my twitter and the book is out second of april and we'll put we'll put all that down in the in the episode notes thank you once again roxy for joining you've had a great time yeah me too it's been lovely talking to you thank you so much for having me on the show